Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Get the Let Out with Dr. Chuck Stead. Once again, this week, we have a special guest. I'm going to let Chuck just introduce him before we uh, begin. Uh, those of you who were listening to last week's uh, episode, very interesting episode, I got a chance to learn something that at least yours truly did not know, and uh, to learn really that when there is an, an, an active agent working against society and polluting our waters, polluting our streams, there's a whole lot more involved, a whole lot more background involved. And one of the things I think I'm learning is just as the Ramapos helped us during the Revolutionary War, once again, they're helping us to overcome this problem by stepping up and speaking out. So very important. Chuck, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Chief, I want to just introduce you once again. We have Chief Dwayne Perry with us for this next episode. And uh, Chief? I'm Chief Perry of the Ramapo. Thank you, Chuck and Ben, for allowing me this opportunity to share uh, with you gentlemen with such wisdom. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, last week I talked about uh, myself and my then intern from Ramapo College, Julie, uh, we had come up to the Ringwood community area, that's the Turtle Clan area, and um, we met with Vivian Milligan, and she just introduced us to her nephew, Jack, who had said to us as he walked up to us, he was going to give us a little tour of the Peters Mine area, and he said, it is a pleasure to walk with you. He led us past fleshing racks and hide boards, stacked and ready for the hunting season. Everything... Everywhere that we walked, along the old footings, the old mine buildings, past corrugated shacks, hanging from tree limbs everywhere, were deer antlers and skulls. It was a little bit spooky, I think, for Julie. He took one of his dogs with us, and he explained that he wore a sidearm revolver to scare away the bears. Mostly the dog ought to do that, but just in case, you know, apparently the bear population was on the rise, as Jack put it, Maybe they just need to be with us. I don't know. Julie asked if they hunted bear, and he explained that mostly they hunted deer, as it was a better sustenance. I asked if they ate the filter organs. Jack nodded and said, I know where you're going with this, Chuck. I give them whatever it is they want from the deer. I know they ought not to eat filter organs, but liver and kidneys are traditional food. Jack took us to another iron gate, also bearing the Arcadis sign. That's the Ford Remediation Agency. Only this one was torn down. He then pulled out an impressive machete and proceeded to slash his way through a wall of bamboo stalks and thick multiflora rose vine. We followed some distance away. He told us along this side of the valley there were many rattlesnakes to be encountered. Julie was by now a bit, I think, overwhelmed by the tour and admitted that this place was more than she had imagined. Jack turned around and with a prideful grin, he said, I'll show you one. He pulled out his iPhone and proceeded to scan until he found a photo that he took of what appeared to be a five-foot-long rattlesnake. I could see that it made her a little faint, so I suggested that we just move on. As we followed Jack, he told us that they don't really like to kill the snakes up here as the elders believe them to be powerful medicine. Jack himself is the community snake handler and is on call to remove rattlers from back porches. Finally, we broke through a clearing and looked down upon a mustard-colored pond. 
That was actually the opening mine hole for the Peters Mine, which operated through the 19th and into the first half of the 20th century. It is entirely filled with water and drops into the earth nearly 17 stories. The watercolor is a combination of natural tannins and iron ore rust. The curious thing was the percolating bubbles. This was the action of methane gas rising up from deep within the mine cavern itself. But it was the constancy of this action that was so eerie. Jack explained that Ford had argued that gas burping was natural, for which they had no responsibility, he told us. Just as landfill caps require methane vents, deep cavern mine shafts can release natural gas pockets, but not with such constancy. I had never seen this sort of thing before. It was then that I caught a whiff of the methane, and it was sharp and acidic, not a natural light-end gas. The flow of gas from this mine pond was a mixture of solvents, an aroma familiar to anyone who had worked in an industrial paint shop. Back to Vivian's yard. We were now joined by a half dozen middle-aged men who were working on a truck engine. There were a few more dogs, an ATV with riders dressed in desert storm camouflage showed up, and then, of course, Vivian. She climbed up onto an open trampoline, the only clear surface available, and spread out some of her record books. I brought an old graveyard map I had to uh, offer her because there were similar family names from the Ramapo graveyard in New York as were up here in Ringwood. So we shared this. And as we shared these things, more men, some of them elders, came along and gathered about the open truck hood, inspecting the work that was being done. They talked machines and they talked hunting, but all the time keeping a careful eye on Vivian. Soon her son Chad joined us, and by now Julie had pretty much charmed both Chad and Jack, such that they were laughing and easing themselves into a very comfortable way of being. I was so intent on looking over Vivian's records that I hadn't noticed the yard was gradually filling up with more than a dozen Ramapos. Vivian suddenly decided that we would need to meet in a less conspicuous place to really listen to each other, and so we planned to continue later in the week. She climbed off the trampoline and called to a few family members and formally announced to them that I was doing a good thing. There was a moment of hesitation after she said this, and then Chad, her son, shook my hand and said, Real glad about this. As we walked back to my car, Vivian told us to go past the memorial, the one along the fence. It was not the same one. It was something a bit larger. She said eventually I might be allowed to take a picture of it, but not just yet. I backed my car around and drove out to Peter's Mine Road and up along the Arcadis Cyclone fence where we had come along a massive display of children's drawings and photos, elders' pictures from years past, deer antlers and sweetgrass ties, smudge sticks and feathers, and poems written and wrinkled. This was a sacred place of memory and of prayer, a memorial to two community members. Julie, she was very happy with this visit. She had heard much of the sensational gossip about this reclusive community, and now she had seen with her own eyes the reality. She wanted to tell others about the people here, about the, the love of story that she found here, about their struggle to survive here. I suggested that she take her time and try not to change the world all at once. She laughed, and then we got to talking about the politics of recovery. That was when she asked me how people recover from such wounds as deep as these, as what the Ramapos had received from Ford Motor Company. And I got to thinking about them 
as being wounded storytellers. In fact, in a certain light, about all of us being wounded storytellers. says it perfectly wounded storytellers but when do you bind up the wounds when do you finally you know come to a point in time where you say all right enough is enough we can't do this anymore you mentioned one thing i just have to ask what what is a smudge stick oh chief the floor is yours all right smudging doesn't necessarily come in a stick it could be done with uh sweet grass sage or cedar um it's actually wafting smoke over you to cleanse your body of negativity. Okay. Uh, some people call it, they may have uh, something that may resemble a smudge stick, but technically, there you go. And also, whenever okay. you go to church, you always see the, the priest have uh, uh, a little jar of something with smoke in it. That's what they're doing. They're not walking around trying to catch a church on fire. That's right. They're actually smudging the entire population. Yep. Sure. Smudging sure. is traditional. Yeah, Those that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's an old... Uh, also, I'd like to add this about uh, Native American religion. We don't have a doctrine. We we have proven approaches to the spirit. And I hear people, particularly like with our teepee ceremony, I hear a lot of disparaging remarks by other people. And I would say this to them, and I have. You should go to the ceremony and be the best Christian, Jew, or Muslim you can be. They're just saying if you apply that to this approach, you, you will you will become uh, more spiritually endowed. If you're not, then I would assume you should just shut up because you're a hypocrite. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Because we're not asking you to change your religion. We're asking you to be able to learn how to do it maybe a little better. Not to put too fine a point on it. Why not? You know, I, I hear what you're saying. It makes all the sense in the world. We tend to, I think it, there's, this seems to be this natural tendency to look at people who are different or who have a different approach and say, well, in order for me to be right, they have to be wrong. And what you just said is, look, you don't have to be wrong for me to be right. You could just be the best Christian or whatever. And and I also, uh, I'd like to get this thing. I can show it to you while talking, but my whole point going forward at this point is that we need to now begin to take the esoteric and turn it into the tactile to where, we're doing something. Yeah. Don't pray, act. And and what I would like to encourage everyone to do is, is just be kind. Maybe once a day do something kind. It could be picking up somebody that dropped something. I love to go down to the grocery store and give uh, some of our elders shopping carts. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? Kindness is the answer to someone else's prayer. Well, it's also a way of... Of, of blessing somebody with some dignity, you know, exactly. just saying that you you admire them, you they are important, they have value, you know. I, I think that's a wonderful exactly. Wonderful and another thing we need to do, and I don't, and I don't, I'm not quite clear how to best do it. Maybe it's just a smile or a smirk or a look. Most of the negativity in the world has been successful because really good-hearted, right-thinking people have turned their backs on it, ignored it. I'm not suggesting confrontation. That's why we turn our backs and ignore it. But we need to show some displeasure because when we don't, that says you're right. And if you tell, excuse the expression, or half a percent of the people in the world that are toxic, are nitwits, 
that tells them they are right. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, to paraphrase him, he basically said, if you can convince the dumbest white guy he's smarter than the smartest black guy, you can control them and have them pick their own pocket for you. You're, what you're doing is developing the ego base. It's not about racism. It's understanding the racism to be able to manipulate that. So I would suggest, as you said, we all realize we are united and we need to just act in a united manner. Exactly. There are no difference of people. We all got two legs and one head, arms. You know, I'm I'm reminded of uh, a story from what you just said, sort of like the opposite of it. My, I have a sister Roseanne who passed away, uh, who passed away from cancer. Um, she was a few years, about three years younger than me, and uh, she was a beautiful person. Chuck knows her very well. She was a they they were very. Uh, endearing to each other you know through childhood and and uh i was walking with her in nyack uh one day and uh this was during the time that she had cancer but she always kept this very positive demeanor and as we're walking down the street i noted that people coming towards us would perk their heads up and smile and kind of nod to us and a little wave here wave there and finally I said to her, what are you, the mayor? What's going on? Does everybody in this town know you? What, what, I, I've never, I don't understand this. And she goes, no, no, I don't, I don't know any of these people. But she said, I, I think it helps because I'm smiling at them first. I'm just expressing in the best way I know how quietly that I'm glad you're here and it's nice to pass by. Right. And I, I never forgot that. It, it was like, to me a revelation that you give dignity to them simply by telling them you're glad they're here. You're glad for their presence. Sounds almost too simple. Sort of what I was saying. Let's employ, yeah. don't pray, do. I think it may be a tactical mistake. People were talking about suing for reparations. I think what should be happening is we should be looking for a full-out apology and reparations from not just the force, but the country. Yeah. 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 How is it that they would allow such minds to be filled with toxins on anybody's watch. Just despicable That's beyond ugly. words. That's yeah. terrible. You know what? Even in Nazi Germany, they got their minds. You know what? They're places of education because that's where they hid their treasures. Yeah. yeah. They're proud of it. Yeah. And what did we do? We, oh, you know, sorry. I would even say with that, just as a thought, uh, Look at our our migrants now. We set up the narco states. It would be real easy for us to go back one state at a time and do a, uh, a, a plan in a Marshall Plan like we did in Europe. Think about this. We did a Marshall Plan in Germany. The Germans bombed us and tried to kill us and killed thousands, of, if not millions of us people globally. But we rebuilt them. The, we yeah. reconstructed. But them. we yeah. can't. We can't go down where we where we where we created the narco states. That's driving these people out of there, and go back there and put our force together and help clean it up and give them democracy and move on to the next state. We could have open borders. They don't. And and the amazing thing, why we're just talking about these our, our relatives in the Southland. The very finest property on the very nicest spot is owned by Americans. Supposing they start saying, get out of here. Right, right. Yeah. So I don't, apparently uh, we've lost the ability for critical thinking in a lot of areas. Yeah. 
You know, you just handed me this note. I think it's a little too complicated maybe for now, but. Well, it's, uh, I think it's, it speaks to what you were just talking about, really, right? Exactly. Now, I can't pr- properly pronounce the well, language. That just means all my relations. All my relations. I thank each and every one of you here, and especially for making this event a time of peace and a true organic fusion of wonder. Here today at this time and place, we are birthing the actualization of unified thought, restorative justice as viewed through the ecological transmutation of the spirit, brings an understanding which states we are all beings of equal and intertwining spiritual effect. However, we are here now at the threshold, the doorstep of the melding of the tactile world with the esoteric as the courage of each arises. Today, provide us the catalyst from which to begin our journey, a journey which has been denied its essence for far too long. And then it just says, as the green, the water, and the air are finally understood to be intertwined collectives, let us, the two-legged, now learn to simply be. Thank you. I That's pretty beautiful. Oh, I oh. wasn't planning on you reading it, but thank you. I was just showing it to you. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's really, really wonderful. That's great. That is. Yeah, oh, man. Thank you, Chief. Wow. I don't know that we can... I think that might be a good place to stop. <laughs> sure, we can move on to next week. Yeah, that yeah. says that get, that's that gives you a lot to think about. Yeah, what I just read might be a good place. Well, to that's end. even worse. I get invited, I would just. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now we go home. Get out of here. You know. What I mean? <laughs> so, uh, what are we going to talk about next week, John? Next week, I'm going to focus on the idea of being a wounded storyteller. Okay, that's where we left. This all right. Week. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Now for a word from our favorite sponsor, the Montgomery Book Exchange, your hometown used bookstore. Now at our new location at 84 Clinton Street in the heart of the Montgomery, New York Business District. Now, if you've been here before, you'll love your next visit even more because we proudly share our new space with Astoria Hudson, a clothing boutique run by our good friend, Katie. The Montgomery Book Exchange is a place where great books survive the test of time, where you can read a book enjoyed by someone a generation before you. You might even find notes in the margin giving you an insight as to what mattered the most to the previous reader. That's how Montgomery Book Exchange turns a great book into a shared experience. And the Montgomery Book Exchange is known throughout the Hudson Valley and beyond for innovations like their Facebook Live sales or their intimate author readings and book signing experiences. How about their member-driven book club selections and book club talks? And did you know you can get store credits in the form of Montgomery Book Exchange book bucks when you bring your well-loved and gently used books in for a store credit? You can also find your Montgomery Book Exchange friends every first Friday evening at the monthly Handmade Montgomery event, which takes place from 6 to 8 p.m. This is a wonderful event featuring local artisans and hundreds of beautiful handmade items ranging from pottery to jewelry. 
For more information, just go to the MontgomeryBookExchange.com or call them at 845-764-1787. That's 845-764-1787. There's one more thing. They have a special location at 8 Factory Street dedicated to your young readers. They call it the Montgomery Book Exchange Children's Chapter, and it features a reading garden where your children can discover the joy of reading in a wonderful and stimulating learning environment. Also at this location, you'll find Miss Claire's Music Cupboard, featuring the award-winning research-based Kinder Music Program. The Montgomery Book Exchange Children's Chapter is open Wednesday through Saturday. Check the website for specific class times that match your child's age. You can also contact the Children's Chapter at 845-522-9652. TheMontgomeryBookExchange.com, your hometown used bookstore. You're going to love this place. 